can see you now. Well, I can see what's here. Thank you, Quezzy, for that encouragement during worship to be thinking of the blessings and the gifts of God as opportunities to worship. Um, Jane and I had an opportunity this last month. We, we enjoyed uh, a piece of uh, quiet at home throughout December for the uh, blessing of COVID. And um, it had a number of impacts, and one of which was that I kind of went AWOL from the consultancy I was involved with and continue to be involved with into the electronics industry. And um, we, uh, we have that. That keeps our head above water uh, financially. And uh, we thought, oh, this is interesting. Uh, where will this lead and what will that look like? And, um, and I, was, uh, I was blessed by... Uh, an email from Ali, uh, our accountant, who uh, basically advised us that you're getting a tax rebate in January. And um, we had the deadline coming up for the payment for New Day, which is a, a youth event, if you don't know it, in, uh, in Norwich. And uh, we've got four children, all of which enjoy our bank account. And, um, and we're like, okay, don't quite know how we're going to do that, how we're going to pay for it and get the 15% discount or whatever it was. And there's nothing in the bank. and We've got to sort out the credit card and we've got to do this, that and the other. And God has graciously given us a tax rebate, which solves everything and brings us back to zero. So now this has been our testimony throughout our marriage that, Actually, as we've given to God, he has consistently met our needs time and time again. We've come to the edge. <laughs> but he consistently meets our needs and we know that he's trustworthy. And so we had the opportunity in that season either to look at the circumstance and go, oh, my days, God, how did you lead us to this point? Or we had the opportunity to go, no, I'm going to proclaim your name. I'm going to declare who you are rather than look, allowing the circumstances to dictate and say what it is. That is the constant challenge of our walk of faith, is to look at the differentiation between what God says about a circumstance and a situation and what the situation cries out and speaks about on its own. I have no idea where I'm going. Thank you. The reality in this life is that we are imperfect. I don't stand before you as a perfect being made completely right and therefore practicing complete holiness and purity of God and therefore I am something to be followed. I point to Jesus. He is the one. He is the one who is perfect. He is the one who is righteous. He is the one who has done everything for us. And let's just, let's just dive into Philippians because Philippians chapter 2, Paul just unpacks something of the nature and character of Jesus that is really hard to grasp because the problem I find with myself is that I get so familiar with him so familiar with him that it actually requires stories of other people to capture and invoke something of the nature and character of Jesus for me to get it again. 
And I just, I, I struggle with this familiarity that breeds contempt concept, right? And, and it's really hard because we're so used to the stories about him. Tom Amos was uh, talking in our staff fellowship on Thursday morning. And uh, he shared the story of um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Who, when giving a, a speech... He, um, he basically, this, this white supremacist came up onto the stage and started hitting at him. And he basically, instead of either allowing his bodyguards to get at this guy or attacking him back, basically sought to embrace this guy and actually stood there and defended him from his own entourage and then when it calmed down and he'd hugged and embraced him, he presented him to the community that were listening to his speech as somebody who was incredibly valuable and dearly beloved. Now, the thing is, Jesus has done so much more than that. But we become so familiar with the stories about Jesus that we sometimes need something in the human realm to provoke us again and go, do you know what? He's, he's done more than that. He's gone further than that. And these texts that we read that are so easy to run through so fast present something to us of the enormous and outrageous grace of God that we are utterly astounded by. And as we read it, we, I am utterly challenged by Jesus constantly because I'm utterly imperfect. Now, I'm being perfected. Now, you might have a different opinion and where I'm at on that journey, right? But he's taking me on a journey to make himself, well, to make himself in me, to make me like him. And Jesus uses this analogy of a seed. And he says, this seed needs to fall to the ground and die because otherwise it can't produce new life. We know that about how seeds germinate and how they function. And so this life, this journey that we're walking in is one of almost perpetual dying. As we either realise things about ourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of Scripture, or invariably and painfully we observe things about ourselves in community that we actually find that we're not as Jesus-like as we thought we might have been. And our flaws and our failings and our errors and our mistakes present, and that's really hard. It's hard for those on the receiving end, and it's hard for us to understand how and why. And as we go through this community series, we have this beautiful picture that Gareth presented last week of this is this moment where we are a community of love and fellowship and honor and yet there's this nagging reality that I'm not all that I know I'm something other than what I want to be and who I could be in Jesus and I'm not all that all the time 
And it was a beautiful opportunity at the beginning of this meeting to have these pieces of paper and a pen so that we could listen to Father God as Kamari explained and talk about the, the, the somewhat duality of our being, which is because Jesus has died for me and I've accepted his death to cover me, God sees me now as he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees the beauty of Jesus. He looks at me in that vein. But the reality is I'm also walking out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. I'm now in the kingdom of the sun, but I'm yet perfected to be like him. And so I find this duality to be active and present. Paul alludes to that in Romans 7. As we explore this life of community, the reality is that we're going to find ourselves in that duality. On the one hand, in our best moments, expressing the goodness, the kindness and the grace of Jesus having the Father's heart and being who he is, and in our weakest and in our worst moments, being ourselves in our incompleteness and our fallenness. The challenge that comes in community is whether or not we're able to keep going, to journey with one another's stuff, or whether it's so hard that we have to walk away. And that's extremely difficult. And extremely hard. And all I can say in front of you today is, I'm imperfect. I haven't got it all right. I have good days and I have bad days. I have days where I'm going to reflect the glory of Jesus. And I'm going to have days where I'm going to reflect my history and my background and what shaped me in family and in life, from schooling and all the way through. And the opportunity is for that part of me to die and be subdued and reduced and for the Christ-likeness to grow and increase. And that's the journey that we're all on, the journey of transformation. And the challenge we have as we approach community is not only a recognition of what is the word about me, who I am and what defines me, but what defines you as well. Andy and Amanda Orange have had a, a dream for a while about the community being something that Gareth alluded to again last week with the Zulu word, Sabona. I probably mispronounced it, so I apologise if I have. But the premise being, I see you as their greeting. I see beyond your frailty. I see beyond your brokenness. And I see the glory of God in you because you were made in his image. I see you. And I see that first. And I will proclaim the goodness and the glory of God in you. And I'll see that first. And then we'll walk and we'll understand the walking out of stuff that you've come from and that you're going into. The challenge of community is to how to do that. And it's not easy. 
but we believe it's worth the risk. Because to be known is to be vulnerable. It's interesting when you look at the 12 disciples of Jesus, the the 12 that were to become the apostles. And I suspect that the women in the group were probably in a healthier state than the men were around the 12. We hear of all the lists of the women that were supporting Jesus out of their own finances for the ministry. But we look at the 12 and we see that not only as they're the zealot, the sons of thunder, but there's also a tax collector. You think, Jesus, you, you spent a night on the mountain. You spent a night with the Father to decide who your disciples are going to be. And you chose these guys? Surely it would have been a much more natural community existence if you'd chosen people that were like-minded, Right? personality types I'm pretty sure as God you'd understand how we work and you'd put them together in an appropriate structure so that it would function you know the big five personality types and how they work according to psychotherapists but somehow Jesus doesn't do that somehow he creates this community of diversity and difference and says, do you know what? I'm going to allow for the challenges. But you need to work it out. Because it's in the working out that you will see my glory and my spirit at work. That's where it's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And then he goes and he models at multiple points throughout his ministry, what it looks like to see somebody and exalt them and lift them up. There is this peculiar sense within atheism that somehow we are subdued and diminished by having a relationship with God or even a concept of God. But the reality is, as you look through the text, as you look through scriptures, what you find is that anyone who encounters God is glorified. God is a God who shares his glory, not takes it away. It's a perversion of truth that says God is jealous for his own glory and doesn't share it with his creation. Let's have a a dive into Philippians 2. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, like a a slave, an indentured slave, and coming in the likeness 
of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If you've been a Christian for more than a few years, you're probably familiar with this passage and it can just run, can't it? It can just run off the tongue. It can just run through the mind like water through a pipe. But what he's talking about is this profound truth that Jesus who said he is humble and lowly is the God of the universe incarnate. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He chooses a position that lifts everybody else up. It's mind-blowing. Utterly mind-blowing. And he sits or kneels at the centre of the community of faith and washes our feet. And so we have that picture of Peter at the Passover before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus is like, right, look, there's been this conversation in the mix about who's the greatest and this, that and the other. And do you know why that happened? That happened because Jesus created such a culture of grace and empowerment that they felt free to do so. That's why they were like, oh, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other way. Because he created an environment where everybody was lifted up. So for them, there was no ceiling. Such a sense of inclusion into his works. And Jesus says, here's it on the road and challenges them and takes a small child and says, you've got to become like one of these if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to be like the rulers of this world. Lording it over those that you lead. No, no, no. If you want to be great, you're going to be made low. The first become last and the last first. It's a flipping over of the human realities that we see every day. And so Jesus kneels to wash the feet of the disciples. You think if you know you're going to the cross and time is precious, what are the things you want to communicate? He takes that moment to communicate a fundamental and absolute truth about who he is and who we are to be to one another. So he takes his outer garment, he takes a towel, and he takes a bowl. Now, the funny thing is, is that all the disciples in that room would have been well aware that nobody would washed their feet yet. They'd all been aware of it, right? In that culture where you're walking around barefoot, sandals, dusty streets, it's an it's a honorary function of any householder to wash the feet of those that come in out of respect, out of honour. What Jesus does is he goes, right, everybody's aware. We're all sitting here with dirty feet. No one's getting up and sorting it out. I'm going to do it. So he gets down and he approaches Peter with the bowl and the towel. And Peter's like, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. There's no way. And I absolutely get that. 
I totally get that. I would have been in exactly the same position. The number of times we find ourselves in worship and we just say to him, I I don't deserve it. I just don't deserve your gift of grace. I'd almost cry out at the foot of the cross, don't do it. Don't do it. We're not worth it. Don't do it. You're too precious. You're too valuable. Don't do it. But the eyes of Christ look back to us. The Father's eyes look back to us through his broken body. And he says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I will have you as mine for all eternity. So we're left completely undone. We just have nothing at the foot of the cross. Nothing to bring. Nothing to boast. Nothing to say, this is why I'm here, because I earned it. Absolutely nothing. So Jesus says, unless you wash my feet to Peter, you can have no part of me. So Peter does what Peter does and says, right, head to toe, wash me completely. Where's the bath? Dunk me. Because he knows that in that place of brokenness and reliance on the grace of God, there is nothing else for him. There's the offence of knowing what sits in here that is being paid for by someone who's perfect and pure. And you just think, I don't know what to do with that. Why would you pay for what is the muck and the gunk in here? Why would you pay for that with your life? Why would you do that? That's hard. But it's incredible that he comes and he does that, that he cleanses us, that he starts to unwind, clean down what has built up over the years to form us in the way we are. And so he kneels and he washes the disciples' feet. He not only washes our feet, but he goes to the cross. A place of absolute ignominy, A place of absolute shame. Absolute brokenness. Utterly peculiar and unexpected by his followers. Utterly Impossible to get your head round for those that had followed him and seen his healing miracles, seen what he'd done in community after community. He's now hanging on a cross, having been flogged and beaten. He just like remember hearing of the Jesus video being played in India and there being riots during the scenes of the trial of Jesus. Because people were so outraged that this should happen, that in the assembly where they're watching it, they just couldn't believe what they were seeing. 
couldn't believe what they were seeing. How could this one, who's so beautiful, so perfect, so full of grace, so full of love, so full of mercy and kindness, how could he take all of this? Surely, no. Surely this is injustice, absolute perfect injustice. God says, this is what it will be to ransom many. That I will take the punishment due to everyone on myself. I will tip the scales of justice and righteousness through my own sacrifice. And I will show to the world that through me, love, reconciliation to God and peace and community can happen. And we stand absolutely astounded at him. Verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth. He is highly exalted and lifted up. And he sits at the centre of our community in both glorified exaltation and eternal humiliation. Scriptures teach us he will forever bear the marks of crucifixion. But that is his glory that he purchased us through that sacrifice. And we stand in this community only on the basis of that amazing grace. Where we're astounded again and again and again at who he is. We think, God, How can it be so? How can it be so? As that is our foundation, Paul says, Jesus is the cornerstone, the founding stone of all our faith and all that we are. And from that, the whole building is built up in community. That absolute grace, that absolute love, is the cornerstone of who we are, a crucified Jesus. But not just a crucified Jesus, a risen and exalted Jesus. And if you're on the Alpha course, if you're visiting at the moment, you'll find out the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And you can journey through why the church exists and who it is that caused it to be birthed. And so as we group together, as we come together in community and we read what Paul writes about in Romans 12, about what a community of faith is like, we see this high aspiration what we see in his letter to Corinth in chapter 13 about what love is. And somehow we start to say to God, Lord, 
You've saved me. You've rescued me. You're transforming, present tense, continuous, transforming me. Make me like your son. Now, the reality in community is that we're going to have good days and bad days. We're going to have moments where we're going to reflect Jesus. And we're going to have moments where you get me in my glorious imperfection. The challenge we have is how we journey that journey and what that looks like. Because until this mortal becomes immortal and death is swallowed up in victory, I'm going to be walking a journey of being made like Jesus because I'm not there yet. And so you're not going to get a perfect owl this side of eternity. Now, people, people question that doctrine. I guess at the moment, all I know is I can see what's in here. And I know I'm nothing like him yet. And the more I look at him, the more it seems that he is impossibly glorious. And I seem to feel like I'm less and less like him the more I get to see him. Paul's letters to Corinth, to Ephesus, Colossae, to Rome are all full with injunctions to love one another. Why? Because he puts people together under his gift of grace that are different. Different perspectives, different life experiences, different lenses, different understandings. But somehow he puts us together in order to be his glorious bride. It's a mystery, Paul says. And sometimes I scratch my head, get a few splinters and think, yeah, sure it is. So the challenge as we walk with one another is whether we're able to, as Kay Marie led us, see ourselves and each other as defined by what we see of the Christ-likeness in each other and what God's calling out of us, or whether we see each other in those worst moments and say that's what's going to build a caricature of you and that's who you are. That's our challenge. There's pain in the journey. It's not always easy and we're imperfect. I know I am. And so I have to ask for forgiveness where I need to ask for forgiveness. I have to remedy wrongs. I have to seek God with deep repentance and understanding so that... Is that Siri talking to me or somebody else's? doing that journey if we live in this community expecting each other to be perfect I'm afraid we're going to get disappointed if we live in this community recognising the duality of our existence that we are a new creation in Christ and we're being conformed to his image 
then we know that we need to be able to have that Jesus kneeling in the middle of us in order to work out the grace. And so community offers us that. It offers us the opportunity to be known. It offers us the opportunity to be challenged, to be corrected, to be engaged with. And that's where we see our growth happening. Because Sunday mornings aren't going to carry it because we're not actually doing life on a Sunday morning, invariably. We can do the hello and the goodbye and how you're doing and what was last week, etc. But the reality of life, where iron sharpens iron, where there's challenge, where there can be tension, where there can be difficulty, that happens in community. And it's messy. The question is whether it's a value proposition that's worth taking hold of. Because Jesus said, actually, it's in that place that I'm going to see my church grow, my bride glorified. Because when the world sees that you love one another, they'll go, surely God is with you. Surely God is amongst you. And they'll know that we're his disciples. And sometimes it's in the outwalking of that imperfection that actually we can express what love looks like. So it's tricky. It's not easy. We read through Paul's texts and it's a high calling. We read through what Jesus says and it's a high calling. And what we have to do is look here and go, all right, what am I frightened of? What am I anxious about if people really discover what this is? Will I be received? Will I be loved if people really understand what this is like? And the problem with church is that because we have such high, high, high ideals and such an incredible model in Jesus, that our proclivity is to behave like him without being transformed inside. To put an external skin over what's broken rather than having what's broken mended and repaired and restored so that actually there is less of me and more of him. Or should I say, more of me in his image because God is a God who shares his glory. And so we find ourselves with that proposition, with that journey ahead of us. And as we look at each other and as we look inside, we have to ask, okay, What's going to define me? Not with some sort of, I'm going to ignore reality. What's going to define me? Jesus defined his disciples by washing their feet. That's what defined them. 
just take a moment, ask Holy Spirit, what defines me? If it's something other than what Jesus says, the one who washes your feet, the one who lifts you up, the one who hangs on a cross for you, the one who models outrageous love, if it's other than that, then it's an error. And it needs to be corrected. The other side of Jesus from washing our feet is that he has absolute pinpoint accuracy about pointing stuff out in us. But with such a grace and such a conviction that it brings life and it brings freedom. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, Godly sorrow brings life but worldly sorrow brings death what God invites us into is a journey of inner working within community so that actually we can see what's rubbish and what needs to be resolved but instead of a worldly sorrow self-deprecation negativity self-condemnation etc what we find actually with godly sorrow is it produces life so i know this isn't right in my heart god i know i need to repent of this will you transform me change me do your heart surgery on this so i'm a bit more like jesus than i was last week so we stand on the solid foundation of Christ's love for us, his death, his resurrection, his empowered life. But at the same time, we allow him to open up in us the possibility of being transformed and of being set right and being more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are deeply grateful that you are a God of forgiveness God of mercy and kindness. And we're deeply grateful as people with all our brokenness and our struggles and our history that you are a God of renewal, of redemption and of grace. And we ask you, God, that would you do these two things amongst us as your body? Would you help us be so utterly undone by your love that you wash our feet and we can barely comprehend it? And at the same time, would you convict us of those things that need to be resolved that we might reflect your glory more clearly? I ask that you do this for the glory of Jesus in this community. I ask that you fill us by your Holy Spirit again this week.
enable us to walk out the salvation that we've been given, grace that we live in every day.